Join us now for Education Matters, a weekly look at the real people and real stories in education across North Carolina. Welcome to Education Matters, presented by the Public School Forum of North Carolina. I'm Keith Poston. Carver Heights Elementary School in Wayne County has been picked by the North Carolina Innovative School District to become the second school to be taken over by the state-run program created by the General Assembly in 2016. That takeover will not happen if district leadership and many in the Goldsboro Schools community have their way. Today on the show, we're going to talk with the Wayne County Public School Superintendent, Dr. Michael Dunsmore, as well as parents and community leaders on how they plan to respond to the state's plan to take over Carver Heights. Before we tackle our main topics, we open with our headlines, a quick scan of education headlines across North Carolina and the U.S. The Read to Achieve program created in 2012 as part of Senator Phil Berger's Excellent Public Schools Act was designed to ensure that all students are reading at or above grade level by the end of third grade. According to a brand new study by NC State University, the program has had no effect at all. Read to Achieve was implemented first in 2013-2014 school year at a cost of $150 million to date. The researchers found that students exposed to the program showed no significant differences in reading compared to students not in the program at all. Did a state legislator offer to pull a controversial charter school bill if Charlotte Mecklenburg Schools fired one of its employees? According to School Superintendent Clayton Wilcox, School Board Chair Mary McRae, and Vice Chair Rhonda Cheek, that's exactly what Republican State Representative Bill Brawley did. The three officials told the Charlotte Observer that Representative Brawley offered to pull House Bill 514 that he introduced if they'd fire Charles Jeter. Now, Charles Jeter is a former state legislator who works for CMS as a government affairs liaison. House Bill 514 paved the way for four suburban Charlotte communities to create charter schools reserved for their own residents, separate from the Charlotte Mecklenburg schools. Representative Brawley here on the screen has denied the charge, saying quid pro quo is illegal. Why would I commit a felony over Charles Jeter? North Carolina schools down east continue to recover from the impact of Hurricane Florence, nearly six weeks after the storm hit. Pender County schools, as well as a couple others, just returned to class this week. The General Assembly has approved $850 million in overall Hurricane Florence relief, including $450 million that can be spent right away. Remember, you can visit the Public School Forum's website at ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and read more about each of these headlines as well as all the other topics we cover each week. Last week, leaders of the Innovative School District, or ISD, announced the selection of Carver Heights Elementary School in Goldsboro as the second school to become part of this state takeover program for low-performing schools. And joining us first to share his thoughts is Superintendent of Wayne County Public Schools, Dr. Michael Dunsmore. Do thank you for being here, Dr. Dunsmore. Thank you for having us. All right, well, let's get right into it. Yes, sir. How did, how did you find out as Superintendent that Carver Heights had been selected for takeover by the um, ISD. Um, we got a phone call from Dr. Hall telling us that uh, we were being taken over. Um, obviously, we pay very close attention to the data. Um, we knew we had a struggling school, but we were going on the process that they followed last year. So schools that had um, 
school improvement grants were exempt. Mm -hmm. So we assumed we were still exempt this year. There was no communication that those rules had changed. Right, because you, you were actually, I mean, there was, Carver Heights was actually on the list to be considered last year, right? Yes, sir. Okay. Yes, sir. And, and, and so we were shocked. We, we changed the configuration of that school uh, three years ago. We're in our third year now. And uh, you needed at least five years of data, which we haven't received that yet. And we had a school improvement grant. So we were a little shocked we got that call. Now, um, the, the Innovative School District, obviously they were looking at a number of schools. I think there was actually six schools that were announced publicly mm -hmm. as being on the short list to be mm -hmm. considered. Do you, so I'm, I'm assuming then that they went and evaluated and looked at the, not just the data, but the school. How did they evaluate Carver Heights? You know, I'm not really sure. We're not sure. Um, DPI came in and, and did a, uh, an evaluation of our school system. And in my 10 years, I've been involved with the numerous of those evaluations. They didn't follow their own protocols with those. They didn't ask us to prepare any information. And it was really apparent they only looked at the first two weeks of school this year. And as you just said, we were one of those schools that were out several weeks with the hurricane. They actually came in and did that two days after we brought the students back. So we, we were starting the school year a second time. And when we wanted to rebut some of the things that were in that, we were told we couldn't because they had to have the report turned in. Wow. Um, now, one of the things that um, you mentioned, um, uh, Dr. Eric Hall, Eric was the superintendent of the ISD. He's been since promoted and is an, a new superintendent. Um, but he pledged um, early on that the communities would be very engaged in the selection process. How was the community in Goldsboro engaged? Um, well, I, I got a call on a Thursday evening that they wanted to have a community meeting on Monday afternoon. Um, we graciously put that together. Uh, we called out our communities. Um, my community's angry. They come in, they ask a lot of questions. They weren't given answers. There's no plan of why we have to take you over. There's no plan of what we're gonna do differently than what we're already doing. Um, so a lot of the questions that were posed that afternoon um, weren't answered. It was held at a time when a lot of our parents are working, children were coming home from school that may or may not have had an opportunity to come in and have their voices heard. Right. Now, there were, as I mentioned, there were five other schools on the announced short mm -hmm. list. I mean, obviously, as a, as a longtime superintendent here in North Carolina, you know um, the other superintendents in yes, those sir. districts. Did they go through the same process? Did, were they evaluated in community meetings, that sort of thing? Uh, no, not, not compared to what we did. In fact, Dr. Hall told the state board at the last meeting they didn't go through all the protocols with all the systems because of the time constraints. And the process set down in the statute is that, and, and that's one of our complaints is this short window. They only looked at the beginning of this school year and not the whole um, body of work that we've done. Um, I'm just shocked at what they're looking at and what's happening. And even from last year to this year and our plans that we've put in place, we work together as a group of superintendents. We're all working on low performance. We want to do what's best with our, with our students. And for them to come in and say, we don't really have a plan of what we're going to do, and it just disrupts at everything we've put in place and the work we've done with our community, with our teachers, and with uh, our, our leadership in the schools. Well, let's 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 on, uh, ask more about that because look, we just we were talking about process, and the process mm -hmm. is important. 
But the most important thing are the children. Yes. This is a school yes. that has very poor academic mm -hmm. results. Um, mm -hmm. Why do you think you and your team at Carver Heights can do a better job of turning the school around, clearly a struggling, low-performing school, a better job than um, the Innovative School District? Uh, we're, we're already doing it. Since I became superintendent three years ago, we've moved four schools off that low-performing list. In fact, four of our other schools that are on that list are showing significant progress. It's not a quick fix. It's not an overnight solution. It takes time. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's a group of 24 superintendents and all our staff that were involved in these restart programs mm -hmm. for that specific purpose. So the, the transformational process and the restart process, we're already doing. We have that plan in place. I'm not waiting, uh, right. coming in in November and saying, we're taking your school over in, in, in August, but we don't know what we're going to do until we come in and take a look at that. I, I think that's a travesty to our uh, our students. Uh, my staff have a, a, a track record. We're in the second year of changing the, the configuration of those grades. Um, this is just a huge disruption of what we're doing. And, it, and it's such a disservice to our children, our parents, our community. And I'm just shocked that they're doing this. It just makes no sense. Now, what are some of the other approaches that you have been doing? You mentioned a couple of things. Um, what are you doing differently? Um, so what is we worked with our other groups, and, and we do our intensive data work. Um, we, we targeted training for our staff and weaknesses, getting in the classrooms, doing some uh, collaboration with our classes, or in our teachers in our classes. Um, we have two math teachers that are in the top 5% in the state. So we targeted math and, and we brought them together and took a, a specific group of math teachers in Carver Heights, extended the time that we're teaching math. We're getting those master teachers in there to help them address those issues. We're talking about kids that are coming to school with a, a lot of struggles in their personal lives um, and we're trying to catch them up. And, and, and so as we look at that and focus in on that, um, we also brought in the mental health supports through grants, we got more social workers, more people to come in and help them deal with other issues that are keeping them from learning. Um, the other thing we implemented, it's, it's having a huge success, is bonuses for our, our, our teaching staff. And, and we tied that to attendance at school for the teachers because we want those teachers in there. We went out and did a, a lot of recruiting with bonuses, trying to attract our better teachers to come in and do that hard work. Right. Well, just real quick, last word. Sounds like to me there's the law says you either have to turn the school over or you have to shut down the school. Sounds like to me you're ready to fight this. Um, I, I, I absolutely were ready to fight this. I told our county commissioners when we met in front of them, they heard the process, and they were, again, asking a lot of the same questions the community answered, and they're not getting those answers. All right. Well, we're going to keep an eye on it. We're going to keep talking about it, and we've got some guests to continue the conversation. Thank you for being here, Dr. Dunn. I appreciate, appreciate it. it, and thank you yeah. so much. Yes, sir. When we come back, two members of the Goldsboro community join us, including the head of the Wayne County branch of the NAACP and a grandmother whose children and grandchildren attended Carver Heights Elementary. Before we go to break, see if you can answer this question. True or false, in North Carolina, charter schools are only required to have 50% of its teachers licensed to teach in the state. Education Matters is brought to you each week in part by Paragon Bank, serving others, enriching lives.
Welcome back to Education Matters. Did you correctly answer true? By state law, charter schools are only required to have 50% of its teachers licensed to teach in North Carolina. We're going to continue our discussion about Carver Heights and the state's plan to take over that school. We have two guests from Goldsboro community. We have first Sylvia Barnes. Uh, Sylvia is the president of the Goldsboro Wayne County uh, branch of the NAACP. And next to her is Iris Robinson. I have you listed as a grandparent, uh, Carver Heights Elementary School. Thank you both for being here. Um, uh, Ms. Barnes, I'm going to start with you. Yes. Um, when you first heard that Carver Heights was under consideration to be taken over by the state's uh, innovative school district, what, so what were your initial thoughts? Well, my initial thoughts was I, I can't believe that this is happening. Why haven't we been notified? Why haven't we seen anything in the paper? What happened was that that morning when I went out to get my newspaper, I um, right on the very front page it said you know that they had met with the school board um, um, Dr. Eric mm-hmm. Hall and I was reading the article and I reached down and grabbed my cell phone and I called one of the school board members I said what is happening here mm-hmm. and um, he said well it happened at the school board meeting on um, Monday he came and told us what was going to happen. And I said, well, what can we do? And uh, he said, well, you all need to get as involved as you can be. And so we immediately started going out, making uh, some flyers, phone calls, calling people, telling them that the meeting had already been set. So we were working just as hard as we could possibly work. And that was a meeting that uh, that Superintendent Dunsmore just mentioned, right? Yes. So that, then, which mm-hmm. was actually a fairly uh, hate, quickly, hastily called meeting. Yes, it was. Okay. Well, Ms. Robinson, let me ask you, I guess, similar question. Um, you got involved. I mean, how did, um, as a, a, a parent, grandparent, um, children at the school, how did you hear about it? Uh, through, I believe it was Ms. Sylvia Barnes and other people in the community. But my reaction was, here we go again. Because right, this isn't the first time this, that Carver Heights was actually looked at. I mean, has the community been engaged in this process of evaluation and looking at the school? And, and t- I mean, you know, there's, I mean, there are challenges uh, at the school. But have you been involved as the school? I mean, has the state brought you in and asked you what you think? The state hasn't actually brought me in, but I, I see myself as an advocate for the children in all the schools in Goldsboro. Um, I look at the, the phrase, reach one, teach one, mm-hmm. and I will continue to advocate for the children and the schools and the teachers. Right. Now, you attended, I'd like to hear from both of you, you both attended the, uh, uh, the town hall meeting. Um, yes. I saw some of the news mm-hmm. coverage. Sort of, what was, um, sort of what was said and sort of what was the reaction? Um, maybe I'll start with you, Ms. Barnes. What the, sort of how, how was it presented and sort of how did it go over? Well, I think that in my... Um, when I was there and looking at it and seeing the individual people that was actually there and coming in, they did not do a good, good job of explaining what was going to actually happen. Um, they said this is what is going to happen, not the possibility. They did go back and say that they would be meeting on, on that next Monday and that they would make a recommendation to the school board and that this, that this uh, school board office 
would be notified, I think, on um, several days mm -hmm. prior to that as um, a direction they would be going. And um, to me, it was just not enough time for community involvement. When you send a notification home by third, fourth, and fifth grade students on a Friday, asking them to give this to your parent so that they can come to a meeting on Monday afternoon at five o'clock. That, if the, unless they are, you know, they get on the bus, they're excited about having a couple of days off without going to school, and that flyer might stay in that, right. in mm -hmm. that bag until they might look at it Monday morning. Ooh, I forgot to give my mama this. Mm -hmm. And mama's already gone to work, right, you right, know, right. or something. Well, what are, so yeah, what is they your, don't know. What are your concerns about when you heard about it and sort of now? I mean, now that you've heard a little bit more, what are you concerned about as a, as a parent? I don't, I don't really believe it should happen. Uh, the teachers I know at Carver Heights, because I interact with them as much as I can, they're doing a great job trying to get the children on track. Mm -hmm. They're my teachers, as well as those children's teachers. Yeah, what do you think? And that's one of the things that the, in the state law, the General Assembly passed this two years ago, um, basically once the school is selected, which is what's happened, by law the school has to either be handed over to be run by this thing or it has to be shut down. Well... I'm not excited we about that. We are not that. excited. I'm not excited about that. And we're going to do everything that we possibly can to keep that um, from happening. Right now, what we are making a major, um, what we are doing that I think might have an impact on the, on the state school board meeting, which is scheduled for one day next week, I think it's, um, first. I, I think it's November the 1st. Mm -hmm. We want to take people to that school board meeting so that they will see that we do not want this done. We are going out every day, knocking on people's doors, asking them if they will sign this uh, a petition, okay. um, mm -hmm. stating that we do not want this. We realize that everybody can't be in Raleigh. People have to work different reasons why they can't be there. But we feel like that we need to make a noise and a loud noise right. saying that we don't want this. Last word from you. Do you feel like your voice is being heard? I feel it is. Okay. Uh, I've been encouraging parents that are saying we're moving out. We're leaving Goldsboro. We're leaving Wayne County. But I encourage them to stay and fight because that's not going to solve the problem. Well, we appreciate your time coming down today to talk to us about it. We're going to keep watching what happens and keep reporting on it. So thank you both for being You're here. Welcome. We appreciate it. We are so it. welcome. We are so honored. Oh, thank you. <laughs> After the break, this week's Leadership Spotlight. Each week, Education Matters spotlights individuals demonstrating exceptional leadership in education in North Carolina based on nominations from you, our viewers. This week, we spotlight Duke Tech Scholars Program at Duke University. 
Leadership Spotlight is brought to you by Participate, where we believe every student deserves equitable access to quality education. We really created this program to try to address the issue of why are women interested in computer science and engineering at the beginning of their college career, but by the time it comes to graduation, there's a significant um, and quite serious and concerning drop rate. So we thought if we could help create meaningful community and opportunities for women interested in tech, would they perhaps have an aha moment kind of in the experiential setting that they weren't feeling in the classroom? The one theme that came up in every single interview was isolation. My discussion class was 15 guys and then me and one other DTech scholar. So it's easy to feel intimidated in those settings and like that you don't belong and you might not necessarily have the confidence. Women feel fulfilled and supported and that they're not alone on an island. They're gonna be interested in staying in the field. In computer science class in general, peers aren't generally open with their struggles, especially if you're in a group of guys, like no one's gonna talk about what they're struggling with or if they don't have confidence. So being in DTech and being with girls who are more likely to be more emotionally vulnerable and talk about things that they're struggling with at work helps you realize you're not the only one struggling with those same issues. We actually provide housing for all of them and that's one of the secret sauces of the program. Living together in a new city um, just makes the entire experience so much easier. I was in Chicago living with 11 other girls, getting to come home from work and just talk about our days just made the whole summer internship process much more um, comfortable. There's so much research about the imposter syndrome and the confidence gap and all of these young women experience that. Going home to like six friendly faces every day, we were all dealing with the same thing. The other thing that we had as part of our summer experience was um, a mentorship program. So each DTech scholar got a mentor that was either working in the industry or Duke alumni. So we had programming every week where we got to meet different important women leaders in tech. When I worked this summer, there were very limited females. It, it was definitely noticeable. Like even just like conversations we had at lunch were just like more male driven topics and I think Having a more diverse workforce, it's almost cyclical where it'll promote more diversity. They're doing the first ever hackathon for high school girls here in the Durham RTP area. And so how can we help other people even younger than ourselves have a positive experience and be willing to try going into a science, math, tech field? So far we've had 19 of the women graduate and 18 of them are all working in a technical role in the company and the 19th just started her PhD program if you know someone or a program that deserves to be recognized, please visit our website, ncforum.org, click on Education Matters, and you'll find a link to nominate someone in your community. After the break, this week's final word. The Read to Achieve program that I mentioned during Edlines and the Innovative School District we talked about today have a lot in common. Actually, both are new education reform efforts championed by the leadership of the North Carolina General Assembly. Both were borrowed from other states, the Innovative School District from Tennessee, and Read to Achieve from, from Florida, where it was championed by former Governor Jeb Bush. His education group actually spawned some other ideas that made their way here to North Carolina, including private school vouchers and A to F school grading. They also have one other big thing in common. They don't seem to work. Read to Achieve has been touted as one of the General Assembly's crowning education achievements, yet the new research from NC State says the $150 million program has had zero benefit for students. And after seven years, the Achievement School District in Tennessee, where charter operators are running 30 schools now for the state, has abysmal results. Not a single school has more than 20% of its students achieving on grade level. So I'd like to offer my own education proposal. 
Now, it doesn't have a catchy name, and it wasn't created in some innovation lab in Florida or Tennessee or championed by someone with a presidential last name. It's actually pretty straightforward. Why don't we try treating our public school teachers and leaders like professionals, compensate them for what they're worth, give them the resources they need to serve every child, and then let our teachers do what they do best, teach. Stop trying to find some silver bullet in some other state because the reality is it's got to start with us. If we invest in our educators and our children, we might just find that the best ideas are right in our own backyard. That's it for this week's show. Thanks for watching and we'll see you next week.